Good morning. I'm glad you could be with us today, and I hope you enjoyed our music. Wasn't that delightful? I hope you were able to sing along with it, because it is fun to do so, even if you're by yourself or with your family or whatever. We're glad that you could enjoy it. So the music, I think, helps carry the message of Christ, and I enjoy it, and I hope you do too. Uh, the message today uh, is entitled, The People of the Book, and of course, I'm speaking about the Bible as the book. You know, in our world, we have plenty of skeptics about the scriptures, plenty of uh, skeptics to say, oh, this couldn't be true. They look at stories like Noah and the Ark. Now, maybe you've seen this advertised on television, and you, maybe you've gone to see it, but there are a lot of people who say, oh, that couldn't possibly be a flood like that. That story couldn't possibly be true. It's just all of a myth going out. Or perhaps maybe one of the ones they love to attack is Jonah and the whale. Why? How could somebody last three days in the belly of a whale and then come out and be fine? How could that happen? And how could that story be true? And then there are others who say, well, you know, we say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, of course it could not be. We know science would not allow such a thing. Well, they would say, it's all just a bunch of foolishness. And if you're involved with that and you're involved with thinking that that's true, you're just wasting your time. It's too bad that you are, but that's just the way it is, and you're a sucker for that. In fact, you could say, well, I have more important things to watch on TV, uh, and so besides I'm so tired, I don't need to spend time looking at the Bible and looking at it because, well, it's just a funny, odd book. Others, however, hold that the scriptures are sacred scriptures, that there's something unique and special about them. I do. I think there is something absolutely fascinating about the scriptures and what they were. They would say, this is a book that needs to be carefully studied. It also needs to be carefully followed. And why would they hold that view? The reason they would hold that view is because they would say, the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. So you have two groups. You have some that say, oh, the Bible is really important, that it is God's word, God's truth. It is important to understand and to follow. And there's the other group that say, oh, it's just full of all kinds of crazy stories that couldn't possibly be true, that they're all sort of myths. Well... The question would be, should this be important to me? Should it be important to you? The book, that is. Should it be important to you? What if it was all true? What if the stories that are in the scriptures are all true? Would that have any impact on you? You know, the story of the flood, the story of Jonah, the story of God's creation, and we could add many others, the story of Jesus' birth, the virgin birth, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his promise of returning. Would we all look at that and say, is it important? Is that of value? Should we look at the book or should we just go on our merry way? And how would you go about if you were to start to say, well, I need to find some way to find out if this is really important or if this is a book that I should just casually throw away? You know, 
there used to be a saying, used to say there are more Bibles in the homes in the America than there ever have been, but they're being read less. And I would suggest people are not buying Bibles like they used to. Oh, maybe they give them as a gift or something from a relative, but rarely read, rarely picked up, rarely known what's in it. And it's kind of tragic. Well, this is a little advertisement. I have a class, it's a thing that's online here, called Bible 101 with Bill. It's on YouTube, and you can find it there. And it could be on our website as well at, at naplessdachurch.org. But you can find it there, and just look it up, and you can follow along. They are in a series, and they help people to find just the basic ways of finding if the Bible is true or not. So just come for yourself and look and have a thing. Well, Jesus had this attitude. He had this attitude when people, I remember when the disciples were coming, and Jesus had just, just been baptized the day before, and as he was passing by where John the Baptist had baptized him, a couple of John's disciples started to follow a bind behind him. And as they were following, Jesus turned and said, well, what do you want? And they said, well, come and see. Come, you will see, they, Jesus said to them. Come and see. That invitation is open to everyone. And I would ask you to have an open mind, if you are new to finding out whether it's of value or not, to just go and look for yourself. I think you will be surprised. Remember, Bible 101 could help you. So Jesus gives that invitation to every one of us. Come, and you will see. Well, today, I would like for us to open and look in Matthew 5. Could you take your Bible and... If you haven't, quickly grab it. Matthew 5 is the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was a, goes over three chapters, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in which Jesus lays out some great teaching and some great things. You'll find in Matthew 5 the Beatitudes. We could spend some time with that, and maybe we will later. But I wanted us to look at one particular section in Matthew chapter 5 that I think you might find helpful. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 17. Would you look at that and find that with me? Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think that I have come to do that and to abolish the law. And notice I have underlined it there, and it's in big, bold letters, and in capital, the law and the prophets. Well, you might not know what that really meant. And if you were a Bible student and for some time, you probably have heard about this before. So just let me help you all catch up a little bit. We have to look carefully at what Jesus' day would consider that phrase, the law and the prophets. It's important because it helps us understand how to interpret what Jesus said. So we have to consider the idea of time and place. This was something that the Jewish people were very careful about. Where was it said? What time was it said? To whom was it said? All those things had impact on how they would interpret it. They worked at it very hard. So Jesus is using a phrase, he's using the word, the law and the prophets. So we want to explain just a little bit what the law and the prophets mean. Well, the law, the law, if we were to look at that, the laws would say it's the Torah. 
The Jewish mind would say, if I were to go to a synagogue and I would say to them, what is the law? They would say, oh, let me show it to you. And they would take you up into the synagogue and up in the front, they would have the scrolls, these scrolls. And they would say, this is the Torah. It's the precious law of God. Well, what would the Torah include? Well, it would include Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It would include all the first five books. They would consider the first five books of the Bible the Torah or the law. And so when Jesus used the word the law, that's what he was talking about. Now, I come from a tradition of pastors and, and a Seventh-day Adventists who have known the law and particularly think the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments are part of the book of Exodus, Exodus 20. So, yes, they are part in the law, but they're not the entire law. But they're in great principles to have and for us to look at. So, so this particular passage, some people get very excited. Some pastors get really excited about it. And they will say, oh, this is applying to the Ten Commandments and particularly to the Seventh-day Sabbath. We don't want to forget not one jot. Nothing will be changed to be fulfilled, remembering the Sabbath. Well, yes, that's, there's truth to that. And we could spend some time sometimes talking about that. But the reality of what Jesus is saying is really appealing to us and saying it's the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five of those books. Well, what about the prophets? If it's the law and the prophets, what about the prophets part of it? What is that equal? Well, they use this as a shorthand to say it applied to all the rest of the Old Testament. So the prophets, the law, and the prophets. Now, there also were the books of history, but they just use shorthand. You say, well, the law and the prophets, because they didn't know to call it the Old Testament. We do that today. We say, well, that was part of the Old Testament, and we also have the New Testament. Well, they didn't have those terms in Jesus' day, so they just say to the law and to the prophets. From Genesis to Malachi, we would say. From Genesis to Malachi, the law and the prophets. Okay, back to Matthew 18, that little side trip there a little bit. Back to Matthew 5, verse 18. And Jesus goes on and said, Very truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen. And if you're familiar with Hebrew, there are markings and little uh, jots and tittles there to help in the pronunciation. Jesus said, not even one of those, not one letter, not even the smallest letter, an I or anything would be, will by any means disappear from the law, the Torah, until everything is accomplished. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would he make such a statement like that? Well, there's some very good reasons. You see, when a prophet came up into Israel, a prophet would come giving warnings from God. And you can read, I mean, Jeremiah was treated terribly. But the others were too, and even, even Elisha was, was mocked, remember? And they said, uh, called him a baldy. They mocked him. So living the life of a prophet was not an easy task. But the prophet tended to change the status quo. And when Jesus came along, he certainly stirred up the status quo. 
They thought, oh, what in the world is he going to? He seems to be doing so many things different than we've always understood them. And he got immediately into conflict with the Pharisees and with the scribes, those who were students of the law and the reading of scripture. He got into conflict with them. But the reality is Jesus intended that he wanted us to keep and strengthen. He was keeping and strengthening the law in his words. Now, that's, that's quite different than what some people say. Some people say, well, Jesus gave us a new law in the New Testament, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Those are true. That's true. They were new. They were new, but they were written in the law way back in the Old Testament. Jesus was just requoting them, and they recognized them, but he said they're new because they had been forgotten. So Jesus came and he expanded the law. He said, what do you mean by that? Well, let me just illustrate that for you. When Jesus came, he moved beyond the thou shalt not. In the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are they. See the difference? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You may have in a, new, a newer version, it said, instead of blessed, it may be happy are they. Blessed are they. Jesus brought and expanded the law. It wasn't just if you murdered someone. He said if you have bad feelings and you, and you hate someone and you wish something terrible would happen to them, you've broken the law whether you've killed them or not. So Jesus came to expand the law and to teach us. And then he went on and said, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What a contrast. If you are sharing the law, the expanding of the law that Jesus had, you will be great in the kingdom. But if you are leading people astray on that or limiting them, you will be the least. And then he said something was absolutely stunning. He went on and said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What? What? Now, the, the Pharisees were sticklers for being following God's law. They were sticklers. In fact, they had done so much that they had written extra things to make sure that you didn't carry an extra burden on the Sabbath or, or so many steps you had to go or how you would tithe the mint leaves off your tree. It, was, it went to everything because they wanted to be sure we do everything exactly right. And they felt so self-righteous about it but here Jesus is saying, he's saying, you must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. How is that possible? How is that possible? Okay, keep that thought. I'm reminded of a story that is in Luke 8, and I'm just going to share it with you. You can look it up and read it later. In Luke chapter 8, it has to do with a man by the name of Jairus. And Jairus was a leader in a synagogue. And his daughter 
became deathly ill. He knew that if she didn't get help quickly, that she would die. And so he went to Jesus and he found Jesus. Well, Jesus was walking with his disciples and with a large crowd as they were walking along. But he weaved his way up through the crowd and he came up to Jesus and he said, can you please come and help my daughter? She is deathly ill. She really needs help. You must come quickly. She is at death's door. Please come. And Jesus said, well, I will. I will come. So Jesus changed his way and his pattern and his, his path, and he went on his way to Jairus' house. But there were so many people. It was a very slow walk that was going along. And I can imagine as a father that he's anxious and anxious. Every second is so important and so precious to keep his daughter alive that he keeps trying. I'm sure if it were me, I'd kind of anxious looks on my face. Please come and help my child. Please come and help. Well, while he was walking along, a woman, a woman came and she snuck up and she tried to get near Jesus, but she couldn't. The crowd was too, too, and people were probably rude and didn't want to let her in. Well, she had had a bleeding, the Bible says, for 12 years, 12 years. Not an emergency. She wasn't at death's door. But she reached in, she couldn't get near, and so she reached out and she was slipped down her hand down low and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, the Bible says. Touched the hem. And Jesus immediately stopped. In verse 46, it says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Well, the other disciples said, well, Lord, you know, there are, there are a lot of people around that are jostling here and going, certainly uh, one of us must have bumped in. He says, no, no, someone touched me. I felt the power go out of me, and he stopped dead. Now here's Jairus, hoping, hoping, hoping that Jesus will keep moving, and now he's stopped dead, and now he's looking. He's looking for who had touched him, and he finds this woman, and he talks with this woman, and he tells her her sins are forgiven. It's a very touching story. But Jairus is there urging everybody to hurry up, hurry up. And while Jesus is standing there talking with this woman, verse 49 tells us, and when Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. There's no need for Jesus to come. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And she will be healed. And if you're familiar with the story, Jesus went on. Jesus went on to help him. Jesus went on to take care of him. And so he went and he brought Jairus's daughter back to life. It's a fabulous story. It's one you should look at and read right there in Luke chapter 8. It gives you, builds your faith. But I would like you to notice something. I wish I could just have you write this in your Bible because it's really important. Write it in the back. This is a very important principle that you will see wherever in Scripture that the Lord knows no hurry and he knows no delay. 
There's never an emergency with the Lord. He doesn't need to worry if someone passes away and dies because he can resurrect them. And he doesn't get worried or anxious about tomorrow because whatever happens, whatever takes place, he can take care of it eventually. Whenever. There is no hurry and there is no delay. It is an important concept to remember as we think about Jesus. Well, all right. Now back to this. Back to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking and he's talking about that I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. I came to to fulfill them so they would know that I am part of that. Now, too often, too often religion can become narrow in itself, narrows itself down to prohibitions. Did you get that? Religion in itself can, can narrow, can narrow its view, can narrow itself down to just being a list of prohibitions. That's what happened to the Pharisees. All the things you can't do, things you shouldn't do. There was a survey during World War I with some British soldiers, and uh, they passed out this survey, and they wanted to know about attitudes. Or So they were asking these British soldiers during World War I, they were asking them about religion. What was your view? What did you think of religion? What did, would you respond? And as they would respond, they would say, well, they shouldn't, uh, thou shalt not uh, smoke. Thou shalt not curse. Thou shalt not lust. The whole list of thou shalt not. Are you living with a long list of thou shalt not? Is that your religion as you look and see this is my, my thing that I'm practicing, things I should not do? And your list is long. It can become crippling. And you can give up. And you wonder, how could I possibly go on? Because I never can get enough right. Because there are so many thou shalt nots. But that's not, that's not Jesus' way. Jesus came. And he showed compassion. Compassion. You see, what made such a difference between the righteousness of the Pharisees, who were trying to teach everyone, thou shalt not, that Jesus came along and shared with them, thou shalt. Happy are ye if you will do these things. And the illustration of Jairus' daughter and the woman, two contrasting non-emergency with the woman, a desperate emergency with Jairus' daughter. That great contrast shows to us the great compassion of Christ. If we do one thing to take out of that is to be compassionate with others, our fellow man. And giving compassion and caring about others is a great way to love them. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, but love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, freedom comes in Christ Jesus. Freedom comes. He is the freeing of you and lets you be free to enjoy and to be happy and not sit with a list of do-nots. Now, there are important things. There are the commandments. Those things are there. 
But the perspective of Jesus was, how do I fulfill and go and have joy in my life and have compassion and love for others? I'm going to ask our praise team if they would not sing a song they've shared with us before. I'd like them to sing um, that this wonderful song that um, Who You Say I Am. And I'd like for you to listen to the words. Here, here listen to this, would you? Who am I that the highest I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love for me, oh, his love for me. Who oh, the sun sets free, all is free indeed, I'm a child of God, yes, I Aren't those powerful words? Those are the words of life. Those are powerful words that we have. 
They are words of freedom, knowing that I'm God's child. I know who I am because I'm his. He provides us that, that gives us freedom to be his children and to live a life full of joy and happiness. And once we catch on to that, it is a tremendous experience. And so no wonder people raise their hands and give joyous rejoicing to the Lord for what he has done. I hope that's your experience. I hope that happens for you today, that you not give up until you find the freedom that Jesus offers to each of us. Dear Lord, I thank you that you can give us freedom. I thank you for the things that you do for us. I thank you that life is not just to be a list of thou shalt nots, but a life open in you to care and be compassionate about others. May we be compassionate right now with those around us, particularly during this pandemic. And may we reflect Jesus to others. May that be our role. And there may be some listening today that this is a new experience for them. They have not had that. Lord, I ask you to touch their heart. Help them to see that they can come and find out. Just as you invite, well, come and see for yourself. Come and see. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.